0: EMS1.com is the number one online resource for the EMS community and authoritative voice in pre-hospital care. Our members enjoy access to exclusive content from top EMS educators and physicians, award-winning e-newsletters, original video series, member-only product discounts, access to free continuing education courses and much more if you're an ems and not a member of ems1 join the community for free today just go to ems1.com backslash registration that's ems1.com backslash registration to become a member Well, it's that time of the week, once again, to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Subalara. And, oh boy, do we have an important topic to discuss. And I am going to let Kelly Grayson tee this up. We're not even going to cross-talk this time. We're not even going to catch up. We're just going to kind of talk about it. So, Kelly, why don't you go ahead and tee this discussion up and then introduce our guest as we start this discussion.
1: That's right. We are we are on to a, a weighty topic a uh, joint position statement on degree requirements for paramedics from NAMSI, uh the International Association of Flight and Critical Care Paramedics, and the National EMS Management Association. This, uh, this position statement uh, uh, advocating uh, minimum degree requirements for paramedics was released in uh, October, uh, October the 11th of last year, and since then it has generated a firestorm of I won't say controversy, but uh, good, healthy, and sometimes unhealthy debate, and we have with us one of the principal authors of that paper, Ms. Loge Barnes. Loge, say hello to our listenership.
2: Hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all and to talk to the EMS providers out there.
1: Good. Well, why don't you give, uh, give our, our listeners a, a little bit about your background and uh, tell them who you are?
2: Okay, my name is Loge Barnes. I've been in EMS um, probably not as long as some of you, but longer than many um, back in the 90s. Um, I have worked ground, air, a little bit of everything. I got into education purely by lack of options, um, and now I've been a program director a couple of times. I have continued my education, and my primary goal is to improve patient care and to be a voice for EMS providers. Um, for me, I worked uh, I worked rural EMS for many years, and I worked 96 hours a week at uh, basically in poverty, and for eight years. So uh, this is very close to my heart. Um, I think EMS providers deserve better than
0: that so. and just and just for the lack of sympathy you you live in hawaii so let's let's just point that out you're you're, you're enjoying <laughs>
2: the last year and a
0: half. Oh, okay for the
2: last year and a half
0: you were enjoying Pretty the fair. nice weather so but uh, i just wanted to throw that out there but you know so maybe from the side uh you know this, this has gotten just so much emotion so much so many people have gotten involved in this you know i, I think that when we we think about education standards it's important that we think about developing uh, the next step. I mean, because when we talk about where we are today and we talk about what's coming in our future, we think about community paramedicine and, and we don't even know what EMS looks like in the next five years. I think this is an important topic and I think education standards need to be increased and... In- and Kelly, you and I have talked about, you know, the education standards of initial training for EMTs and paramedics, and we've talked about that we want to get into the into the bachelor's degree and master's degree space. I mean, we just had a call how long ago where we discussed it, but Loge, maybe you could give us just a little bit about the importance of, you know, why now? Why is it that we're taking the, the position that, hey, you know what? It's time to start talking about it.
2: Well, I think many people have been actually talking about it for a while, but it does, uh, it's pretty exciting to see that the industry as a whole, EMS itself, the providers seem to be behind this movement, which I think is pretty exciting. Um, let's face it, when EMS was first established by NITS under the DOT in the 60s, no one ever thought that we would be doing the kind of things that we're doing today. We do Uh, Interpret complex medical information, practice advanced life-saving invasive procedures. We administer a variety of potentially fatal medications, often with limited diagnostic information in unpredictable settings. And I don't think that was envisioned. Um, So I think now is the time to start talking about this. I think EMS is at a crossroads where we have the opportunity to professionalize and go beyond a mere stepping stone or that job that you just go to. But we can actually provide a career ladder, um, advancement, compensation uh, that all the other allied health um, careers enjoy. So I think people are really starting to see that we can benefit our patients. You know, Um, patient outcomes can improve with education, and there's the – Quite a bit of evidence out there to support all of those arguments.
1: So you're, you're saying that that basically we have long since outgrown our traffic accident technician uh, um, origins and and are ready to take our place as degreed, uh, educated medical providers. Um, what do you say, Loge, to the people who would who would oppose that position? by saying uh, a degree is not going to make me a better paramedic. How is a degree going to help the nuts and bolts provision of (laughs) EMS care?
2: And we do hear that. Um, So a couple of things, a lot of times you'll hear the argument, well, I've seen plenty of degree paramedics and they're horrible. They don't provide as good a patient care as my certificate paramedic right next to them. And, that may be true. I mean, everybody has some internal motivation and that certificate paramedic may be far more motivated than that degree paramedic. You know, I don't know, there are going to be instances of that, but I think as a whole, if we look at trends, if we look at the profession as a whole, what we see, what the evidence actually supports is that with increased education, People improve their problem-solving skills. They improve their ability to communicate with people. They improve their... uh, The patient outcomes are improved as well the more education that people have. You know, physicians are educated. Nurses are now looking at baccalaureate degrees. Every allied health um, occupation you can look at requires at least an associate's degree to the extent that OTA and PTA, who are assistants, actually require um associates degrees and they actually if you look up at the in the u.s labor uh, department bureau of uh, u.s bureau of labor statistics they out earn paramedics which i think is a little bit sad Um, we're clearly in a position where we're doing things that are far more advanced and yet we aren't getting compensated even to the level of a dental hygienist which by the way, requires an associate's degree.
0: Yeah. you're.
1: Absolutely- I'm going to, let me, let me break in Chris, cause I know you want to talk, but I, I'm going to get my, my second word in. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, Lodget, when now you say that, that, that there is ample evidence that it can improve the, the <clears throat> nuts and bolts provision of VMS care. And unlike the opposition paper, you actually provide citations as to that, uh, to that effect. Uh, uh, most especially police officers and, and the nursing profession. Now, some people are going to say that, well, yeah, that's cops and that's nurses. That's not paramedics. We don't have uh, any evidence that says it will make paramedic care better. What do you say to that?
2: i say, well, you might have a point. I have not been able to find any EMS-specific evidence, but what Could I'm not telling you be is... Could mean that we
1: don't have that evidence because <laughs> we don't have have the academic credentials to conduct it?
2: That's exactly what I was gonna say. I was gonna say professionalization actually includes the ability to both self-regulate and develop evidence-based practices. Well, both of those require formal education standards. So, EMS actually has the opportunity to align itself with other healthcare professions, which would enhance our professional respect and we can do more of our own research and develop our own evidence-based guidelines. And I, I would argue that we're actually seeing more EMS research being done by EMS providers than we ever have in the past. Yeah. So we are moving in that direction. You've seen Daniel Patterson with the fatigue studies. Um, we've seen some of the, some other um, Blau, Chapman, Gibson, Bentley. So there are a few starting to do some of our own research. But without that formal education, that's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah. I, and. In one study in particular, a couple studies in particular that you cited in in your uh, position paper about improvements in in law enforcement performance uh, with degree uh, requirements and enhanced educational requirements, there's one that that, uh, they found a, a demonstrable increase in communication skills, public relations skills, report writing skills, response to new training, decision-making ability and commitment to the employing agency and and critical thinking, all of which uh, are, are, um, you know, elements of of good EMS care as well. I've I've always thought that uh, law enforcement probably had more uh, common traits with EMS than than the fire service does. But um, yeah, I think um, uh, I agree with your position. I'm going to shut up and let, let Chris take it now.
0: Yeah, I don't know that that's possible, but we'll give it a go. But uh, you know, so when I saw the when I saw the position paper from Nancy, and I have, I mean, the utmost of respect, uh, you know, for Sean Caffey. I had the opportunity to work with him on the on the uh, NEMSMA board, and I mean, just a just a, a crackerjack person. And and even back then, his position was we needed to think about the education. And when the position came out, I was like, you know what, this is really timely. And this is really something that I think needed to come out to at least give us the foundational guidance of discussion. But then I was a little bit disappointed when uh, the fire service came out in opposition, because we really weren't, you guys really weren't asking for uh, this to happen today. And, you know, I remember thinking that, you know, the fire service has the fire academy and they're doing everything that they can for their members, uh, you know, to get an education, to move forward. And when we think about from an EMS standpoint, we don't have that opportunity and we have to start to think about how do we get our providers from where they are today to the next level. We think about community paramedicine. We think about the... And community paramedicine has grown over the over the last decade as to the things that we're going to be able to do. in five years from now, who knows what we're going to be doing? So I think that that was timely. But why was it such a... In everyone's opinion, and I don't know that, Loge, I'm really looking for um, your explanation, but Kelly, I'd like to hear your explanation as well. Why do you think that it caused so much uproar when the opposition paper came out to say we don't need this?
1: Well, and a practical matter, I do believe that it will worsen staffing shortages uh, and that the fire uh, EMS people are resistant to that. Uh, they throw mm-hmm. figures out that it'll shut down 21% of paramedic uh, education programs, which I, I don't necessarily agree with. Um, it is a, a it's, uh, a matriculation agreement and a few extra classes to to get those people from uh certificate uh programs to degree programs. Um so I don't think that I think that uh that figure is somewhat overstated, but I do think it will provide a uh or result in a in a staffing shortage. Now the question becomes is a staffing shortage all that bad a thing? Now, yes, I, I mean what? what, what? what if are you talking look- about? It is, if you look at EMS from the paradigm that we look at it now, technicians transporting people to the hospital because that's our default, because we don't have the education to provide medical care outside the hospital and treat and release and and that sort of thing. We don't have that education. So yeah, if your paradigm is, is we're going to be technicians and we're going to do a minimal assessment and treatment and transport people to the hospital and keep it as the same. Yes, that's going to be a horrendous uh, um, worsening of the, the paramedic staff shortage. Um, but I have said, and, and Nancy's here shaking her head at me, but we, we've agreed on this in the past, that, that um, realistically EMS probably needs to contract and, and uh, become smaller Uh, And that the paramedics need to be like the Navy SEALs of EMS, uh, small, exquisitely trained, uh, and infinitely more capable than they are now. And the 70% of our patients that only need BLS care should be transported and cared for by BLS practitioners or advanced EMTs. So I don't know that that, uh, in the long run, this paramedic shortage will necessarily be a bad thing. I think it it will help spur change and, and make... Uh, EMS, rather than just big and bloated, smaller and more efficient. But I'll shut up and let Loge talk now.
2: (laughs) Well, Kelly, I agree with your shifting paradigm. I think EMS has the opportunity to become and needs to become part of the healthcare system. Um, Part of that includes being proactive instead of reactive, being able to assist with preventative care instead of just reacting. Um, I think EMS is in a unique position within our communities to um, find health care disparities and actually to address them, again, if we're educated. You know, you mentioned the shutdown of 20% of the certificate programs. Well, where was the evidence for that? I didn't see any evidence. I, I saw an opinion, and I would argue that COA Um, And accreditation has required every program to be affiliated with higher education. So I'm not sure I I buy that argument either. Um, A lot of people say I'm anti-FIRE. I will tell you, I believe FIRE helped bring up our compensation, actually. Um, And I think FIRE has done a lot for EMS. However, I do think that we do not have our own career ladders. we don't have any way with which to really develop a career um, so I think that's another reason why it's uh, it's time. We heard some of the same arguments when nursing decided to go to associate's degree if you remember, and somehow the huh? system didn't fall apart right now. What we have is a a systemic failure of Healthcare and EMS itself, look how we are uh, reimbursed. You know, we have to change that. A lot of people say, well, that's not going to change. Well, CMS actually does, and I'm not a CMS expert, so I can't ask uh, answer a lot of questions about it, but I do know that they reimburse based on education. That's why people put nurses in the back of an ambulance to transport a patient that a paramedic could do just as well as easily. So um, it will change that. And I think everybody agrees we need to change that paradigm anyway of reimbursement for transport. Um, Fire doesn't get reimbursed just for putting out a fire. So why are we continuing down that same paradigm there? Um, I would also argue that if you look at the evidence of recruitment and retention, Um, We lose many of our best and brightest to other healthcare professions because they become frustrated with the lack of career ladder and they need to pursue greater compensation and an opportunity for advancement. We have some of our own evidence there. Um, There is actually a causal effect between education and increased earnings in well-established across time, culture, and occupation. What happens when you are earning a living wage I don't know about you guys, but at every institution I have taught at, nursing, the other allied healthcare, they usually have waiting lists to go to get in Mm -hmm. while I'm out there recruiting students. Why is that? No. And what typically happens with EMS, they'll jump over the fire. Why? Because they're earning a living wage there. Right. So I would actually argue that we will end up fixing our recruitment and retention problem. The other thing is, You know, when we have this revolving door for EMS, it's not considered really a career. Um, Just a stepping stone to somewhere else or until you're backwards out. You know, we are costing upwards of $100,000 each every time we have to replace that employee. So, you know, that probably would help out as well if we weren't having a revolving door. That's what I would say to that.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the challenges (laughs) that we have to think about is you know, what people are making. Is that compensation? You know, and you're absolutely right. And I've been saying for years, is EMS a career field or is EMS a stepping stone? Well, it looks like a stepping stone. One of the things that we've tried to do is we've tried to get the very best out of our employees while they're working with us. And then as they start to move on in that career advancement, we need to be able to wish them good luck. And hopefully we spur a little loyalty when they become nurses and, or, you know, whatever it is they're going to do or doctors, how many of our peers have gone down to become doctors and And, uh, you know, they've even come back to be EMS medical directors. You know, I think the fire service is the fire service. Fire service is an EMS. And that's my opinion. One of the things that their position is, they don't think that this is necessary. I think that that's okay for them to say. But it doesn't affect the people who are doing the work in the field. And we were doing a little bit of talking before we got on and recording. And... You know, Loge, there was a, you did a little uh, um, kind of a survey, and I really like you to talk about that here in a second after I'm done opining on my own opinion of, you know, the percentage of people who were behind this from the provider side, which I think is pretty amazing. Now, one of the things that I will kind of stand on is the fact of being an EMS leader. I have had challenges. With bringing people into the organization and recruitment, I, I've been pretty good with my retention. And when you start to care about your employees and when you start to, you know, ask them what their vision are and what their goals to reach the vision, what's the plans to reach the goals, and you 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 buy into that uh, vision for them. I mean, because what can I really offer them? The only thing I can offer them is their wage, which hopefully they're going to be happy with. A lot of times they're not. But I can give them my expertise and my experience that say, this is how you capitalize on becoming the best professional possible. But anyway, that's just me. We need to be able to push folks towards the degree process. But the challenge is, you now get a four-year degree, and I can't pay you any more money. And I think that that's where that challenge is going to come in from. When we send a $1,500 bill out the door, and we get $427 in reimbursement, <clears throat> I am not getting any more money to pay for that position. Now, as a hospital-based system, which was my last position, we had the support of the hospital that was able to help us through those lean years. But in a private system where they're worried about the P&L, they're not giving any more money either. And I think that that's where this opens the Pandora's box to find a can of worms. We want our, you know, we want our uh, providers to have a higher education, but how do we compensate them differently for that? Presently, we can't do it.
2: I agree that presently we can't do it. And again, that comes back to reimbursement. So that's a big piece of it. And as we talked about, CMS is um, should increase pay. The other thing is um, making... Identifying EMS as a healthcare professional, you know, if we can get us on that same level, you're going to see some reimbursement uh, issues cleared up there. But again, if EMS becomes part of the healthcare system, and we start looking at partnerships within our communities, whether that's hospital-based, I mean, I think there's several models out there. We're proactive. We're preventative. We're partnering with hospitals, we're partnering with urgent care and other systems, and we're looking at other ways to pay for the system besides just CMS reimbursement for transport. And I certainly am not the expert in that area, but I know we have a lot of smart people in this profession, and I think that we can ways to change that paradigm because we all know that paradigm is already unsustainable. I don't care if we, say that, um, okay, we're not going to get degrees for paramedics because we're going to keep labor cheap, guess what? This, this system is still unsustainable. Um,
1: <laughs> one one particular entity's uh, exact position, we want to keep uh, our entry-level labor cheap. but
2: uh... Right. And if we can get HRSA to agree that paramedics are healthcare professionals, that would go a long way as well. So I think we have there's several ways to attack that problem. And it's a problem that we're going to have to face regardless. So shifting the burden that we've done, EMS has done forever, putting the bandaid on not solving the real underlying problem is not going to make the underlying problem go away.
1: Yeah. How long have we been beating the drum that we need EMS needs to diversify its funding streams, uh, outside of EMS and, and, uh, uh, compensation for transport, you know twenty years, thirty years, yeah, but the, but the-, the CMS fee for transport model is unsustainable, mm-hmm. and why is it unsustainable? They only pay us a pittance because they look at us as cab drivers, not medical professionals uh, and and nancy's, nancy's here shaking her head, uh, but we're not going to agree on this, so this is this
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I
1: think that this <laughs> migration household. But um, I think part of but part of her opposition to what I'm talking about is, is that she thinks we put the the cart before the horse, that we have to demonstrate value uh, for what we do. And my position is that it's hard to demonstrate value when you don't have the
0: academic credentials to demonstrate. I disagree. I disagree to that. I I disagree. She says we have
1: to demonstrate value and, and we have to sell it better. Um, and communicate it t- better, but um, uh, I don't think it's so much a difference in philosophy; it's a difference in, in tactics. But I do think that that a degree requirement is going to help spur that sort of thing. Two pronged: number one, it, it'll it'll put some some teeth in our argument to CMS that we are more than transport technicians, and two, um, a shortage uh, and and lack of, of adequate CMS reverse. Reimbursement is going to to force uh, um, municipalities and states to actually address a problem that they've been able to punt down the road uh, in years past. That how are we going to address this critical shortage of paramedics um, and and fund our systems adequately? Do we need to make it a a, uh, a central service like like law enforcement and fire suppression, uh, which it's not in many states? Uh, that's that's another uh, you know part of the calculus. Um, but Loge, what I want to hear, Chris, Chris segued into it and then, and then uh, didn't didn't go anywhere with it. Your survey that you took <clears> of EMS <throat> providers uh, uh, regarding education, tell us tell us what uh who responded and what the results were.
2: Okay, so I did a knee jerk response um, survey, um, all sent through email or social media, so it's definitely not something that has any You know, formal backing or anything, but I just sent it out. I just wanted to feel the pulse of the EMS community. So I actually got back, and primarily from social media, 920 responses. So that's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I will tell you that roughly 71%, a little over 71%, agreed that EMS or paramedics, actually specifically, should have a minimum level of formal education at the associate's degree or higher. So it was actually broken down and I believe 60% said associate's degree and another 11% said a bachelor's degree minimally. Um, What's interesting about this as well is that I broke down, I asked people what their primary job function was and the majority of the respondents were actually, their primary um, job was providing patient care um, and the second biggest group was EMS Education, which was only 24%. So we're talking close to 50% were providing patient care. Um, of course, FireBase uh, didn't have as great a uh, response. It was about 10% from them. But I did find it interesting that it looks like EMS providers, the uh, grassroots providers, seems to think that it's time for EMS to become a profession.
1: So that, that debunks the argument that uh, that um, EMS educators are the people driving the the uh, the push for right. for increased education. It was in your survey; it was providers uh, by by a wide margin. Um, now, how much selection bias plays into this? So you're doing this over you do this over social media. Um, and the people that tend to participate in EMS social media forums are, are by and large, the people who are most passionate uh, and and outspoken about their profession, and that's why they're out there engaging strangers on the internet about it. Uh, do you think that will tra- that translates to the average uh, uh, EMS provider on the street who who's not necessarily uh, participating in in Facebook EMS forums?
2: Well, I definitely think there is a bias. Um, but I still was encouraged. I'll tell you, when I started working on my master's, I finished it in 2009, so it's been a while. And this was at the beginning, and it took me five years because I was working multiple jobs, like everybody in EMS. <laughs> so I actually did a statewide survey, and I will tell you that it was less than 10% of students and or providers that felt like EMS should be educated. So. I'm encouraged just by the fact that I really did not expect it to be at that level regardless. I don't care how biased I got unless I just asked educators. So even though I'm sure it is skewed and there is some bias, I still am encouraged. And I'm very encouraged just by the debate that we're having. I don't think a few years ago we would have even been able to have this debate. Do you? I think it would have been shut down immediately like, oh, there, there they go again, trying to yeah. you know, make us go back and get degrees. And I think that's the other piece that people need to understand. Two, Several things I've heard. Number one, that we're asking for a bachelor's degree. The position paper does not do so. It asks for associate's degree in, um, I believe, 2025. And we're open to pushing that back a little bit. It's just a starting point for us to start a discussion. The second thing I've heard is that It's we're trying to require a degree before people go to paramedic school. No, I would argue that at the associate's degree level, probably a little bit over 40 credit hours and associate's degrees, roughly 60 credit hours is going to come from the paramedic program. So as you pointed out earlier, uh, the polls that I've done and the people I've asked, we're looking at asking for an additional three credit hours here in Hawaii all the way up to eighteen credit hours in some of the other states, that's one semester worth of education. The other thing, if we're looking at our edu- uh, at our providers, you know what happens when they burn out, they hurt their back, they do whatever. They don't have a degree. The piece of paper that their paramedic certificate is written on is worth mm-hmm. what? A piece of paper. Yeah. Because once you, your license laps, once your national certification laps, you can't do anything. You got to go back through. You got to retest. If they have a degree, that makes them have the have opportunities either within or outside of EMS to actually get better-paying jobs and you know have a career rather than just saying, okay, that's the end of that part of your life. Move on. Yeah. I think we want to keep those people in the system if we can. So we give them more opportunities. And let's be honest, we're virtually hours wise, contact hours wise, we're doing an associate's degree already. Oh, yeah. We're just not giving people the benefit of the degree.
1: Yeah, Scott, what things- Scott would argue that we're bumping up against bachelor's degree territory.
0: When we think about this process, I, I think that we have to be able to be creative in the ways that we help our providers get their degrees. And, you know, a lot of times folks will go to EMT school and they'll go to the paramedic school and they want to jump right into uh, making money. And even though it's not, uh, you know, a, a lot of money, they they want to get out of paramedic school to do that. One of the things that we need to start to think about is how, as leaders in the organization, We can allow our workforce to get to the next level of developing themselves to get these associate degrees. And whether we do, uh, you know, programs uh, through distance learning, you know, the Excelsior program gives folks the opportunities to become nurses. Maybe we sit people in a classroom and we, you know, we kind of teach with them and we kind of talk that through. Through distance learning now, I mean, you can get a associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's degree, doctorate without even stepping foot into a school. If we're able to set up computer banks in our, in our organizations and give people the opportunity to work on their college, um, you know, and support them as best we can and give them some type of uh, tuition reimbursement, I think that those are ways that we have to start to think about organizationally how we can support the process of growing our workforce. That's one of the things that's not happening as well. We bring these people into our organization. So let me change that. We invite these people into our organizations to help us meet our vision, and then we treat them like they're second-class citizens. We've got to be able to invest in their professional development. We've got to be able to invest in their personal development. We've got to help them attain the uh, higher education that they want to attain now, if we say that an individual has 20 years and 25 years of sitting in a truck in our organizations, or they come to our organizations, and now we say by 2025 <laughs> they've got to have a uh, uh, an associate's degree, I- I'm just curious, how is that now going to affect our ability to retain people who are just going to say, "I ain't doing it."
2: The paper actually doesn't ask for this to be retroactive. So there's anyone, who's already out there and yeah, there's a, are grandfathered in and they will nutrition out much like nursing. By Correct.
0: Oh, okay. My, my misunderstanding.
2: No, that's okay. Because that's a common, that is a common misconception that I think is actually spread purposely by some people. And so <laughs> I meant to say it earlier, but um, yeah. Just to clear that up, if people are going to get all panicky about that and say I don't want to go to school, I'm too old or whatever their their argument is, they don't have to.
0: Right. So, Lojay, well, let me let me give you and Kelly. I'm going to go twice since you went twice, and you know, you go here. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> so, you know, now we're into this position. I mean, as Kelly mentioned at the top of the show, October this came out. We're now sitting here in January, getting ready to jump into February here in another couple of weeks. Where do we go from here? I mean, the you know, Nancy made a, uh, you know, gave the opinion of saying this is what we would like to see. How do we get there now? I mean, what do we've got to do to now take the next steps to say, you know, it's time to move into the process of thinking about how we make this happen for our providers. But, you know, we're, it's almost like we're at a stalemate now. What, what are the next steps?
2: Well, I I would tell you that there are many people working on building an advocacy group, and we're also working on some talking points. Um, I think what we need to do is have a discussion and see if we get to that tipping point where we can agree to whatever date that might be, if that's 10 years in the future. Or so let's say we say, because I know in the, uh, Video from NAEMSP. They basically gave a a decade. Well, you know we're fine with that too. My my point is, if we don't set some sort of date that we're going to have be having this conversation in ten years and twenty years, if we set a date, we can start moving towards that. Does that mean it will happen exactly on that date? Doubtful. Look what happened with accreditation. How many times was that pushed back? Um, Because well, the time wasn't quite right, but eventually the time was right. And I don't think anyone can argue that accreditation has hurt us as an industry. So I think that this is the next step in that professionalization. So if we can get, you know, the major players to agree, and whether that is, I did see a post on somebody's, well, if you're, you know, I think you alluded to it earlier. EMS as a profession moves forward in this direction, and then the fire-based EMS, which aren't transporting, or if they choose to do so, are Mm -hmm. providing a lower level of care. Maybe they're utilizing AEMTs instead of paramedics and minimizing their use of paramedics. I don't know what that answer is, but I do think we do need to set a date, because the other thing that's going to happen, need to happen, is the education of the educators. You know, I know in a lot of states to be a paramedic um, educator right now, you have to have a GED and maybe, maybe a 40-hour course on how to educate, which can be, you know, pretty challenging. I mean, education on its own is its own own discipline. So to say, oh, well, you have your GED and you took a 40-hour class, good luck. I mean, how much support did anybody get when they first started teaching? (laughs) Probably not a lot. So you had to kind of figure it out on your own. So, you know, COA has said that program directors have to have bachelor's degrees, that um, lead instructors need to have associate's degrees. But do you think we're moving in that direction, but I think if we have a goal in sight, we can at least, you know, we know where we're headed when we're trying to be there. We have a roadmap, so to speak. And if we have to take some detours, so be it, we take some detours, but at least we've planned out our journey.
1: Yeah, and I, w- I was going to ask you if we, if we had a, a pro toolkit, a, a, a talking points uh, uh, memo and, and, and resources that we can, we can use to, uh, to bring our case to our policymakers and so on and so forth. I, I think one of the things we, we run long on passion, but our ground game is kind of weak. And Agreed. IAFC and IAFF have strong ground game, and they've already got an opposition toolkit. So, uh, was, uh, maybe you can give our readers, we put it in our listeners, you can put it in the show notes uh, where they can access the talking points. Um, you know, one thing that stood out in the opposition paper that I found somewhat disingenuous was uh, how much this education requirement, this degree requirement is going to negatively impact the volunteers. You know, there aren't many paramedics volunteering. Uh, at agencies that aren't already working as a paid paramedic somewhere else. And, and by the way, you're not going to, you know, uh, volunteer agencies are struggling just to get EMTs and advanced EMTs. uh, And, you know, um, increasing degree requirements for paramedics is really not going to affect them all that, all that much. Um, But uh, Loge, we're, we're bumping up on time (laughs) and we, Greatly appreciate you coming to talk about this issue today. And, and in closing, before I I give a wrap up, I'll, I'll um, implore the the rest of uh, the folks out there listening that that there are smart, intelligent, and conscientious people on the other side of this argument, um, whether for uh, pro or con. Um, uh, not everyone is is an evil dude. Uh, uh, shill trying to to keep the paramedic profession down. Some people have uh, um, carefully considered opinions on why this is not a good idea. Uh, we have to counter them with logic and and uh, and our talking points. We have, have, <laughs> have we have equal we have equally uh, thought about our position as well. Uh, so I would urge our listeners to to kind of keep their heads and take the high road and passionately advocate uh, for this. I, you know, I'm as guilty as, as anyone about letting my passion overcome my, uh, my tactfulness. So, uh, um, you know, consider what we're going to say and, and, and how we're going to advocate for our prom- uh, profession and let's be professionals about it. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Do you think a, a minimum degree requirement is necessary for the provision of paramedicine? Uh, should paramedics have at minimum a bachelor's degree. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts and we'd love to get a bunch of responses on this to see what the street level providers, administrators, and educators think about this. So email us your comments and your opinions on the matter at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host, Chris Cevalero, and our special guest, Ms. Lojay Barnes, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.